Welcome to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from thenextreel.com. All right, Pete, we are going back to the beginning, to where it all started 10 years ago. We are talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man, the movie that kicked off this whole thing. On today's episode, we dig into Minute One, which starts with the Paramount logo and ends with a convoy of U.S. military jeeps driving through Afghanistan. Can we start by just talking about those logos? I there there was a feeling now that the way the movie starts, it's, you know, in our, our first minute, it's probably three or four seconds of black before we get our our first introduction to uh, the logo and we see the stars flying in. And I just, I remember this visceral feeling being just really excited to see that Paramount logo. But I, I got very excited for some reason, seeing our transition into the Flipbook Marvel logo. It was a whole, it, it just felt like it was introducing something really big to me. And I felt like a kid. I felt like a kid that I was ready for for something that they were going to take me on a journey that was that was going to be much bigger than me. And it's interesting because you know I think Paramount they oftentimes uh, the the movies um, they they allow their logo to like have some color tinting with it and stuff. I can't quite tell if this is tinted. It looks pretty close, but it, it feels maybe it's just the really kind of subtle hint of kind of a. Uh, a musical hum or something and some wind yeah. blowing behind. And then the comics start flipping. There's no music or anything. It's just kind of the flipping. And it's kind of nice to just have that comic comic flipping in the background um, of the Marvel logo, which is not how they've always done it, but uh, it's nice to see here. It's in its purest form. And this was not the first time we'd seen the Flipbook logo. The Flipbook logo, uh, you know, its its first appearance for us was in Spider-Man um, back in, when was that? Two, uh, 2002. 2002. 2002. So it's not as if we hadn't been living with this, but I I guess my sense is, you know, looking at the at this the flipbook logo here, uh, it felt like a title of ownership, whereas the uh, the flipbook logo for Spider Man, knowing that it was coming from, you know, uh, Columbia and Sony, it just felt like a borrowed title. Uh, it, this this just felt more resonant to me. Well, and that's funny because I mean. Technically, it was kind of the same thing. It was, you know, Marvel had been trying to find a home, I guess you could say, the right place to make their films. And obviously, as as we know, they had uh, sold a number of their their titles to Sony, uh, like Spider-Man and, right. and those franchises. And, and I shouldn't say sold. They've licensed them over to them. Universal has Hulk, which they've had for ages. And um, and they've been trying different studios, trying to set up deals with them uh, before they came to Paramount back in uh, the early aughts. I think around 2004, they were with New Line working with Nick Cassavetes, trying to get this film off the ground, um, a different version of the script entirely. And it never quite came to pass and it fell uh, out of New Line's hands. And then they ended up coming to Paramount and as we are going to discuss over the course of this whole series, Marvel is going to be, um, you know, this is not quite their home yet. It's nice seeing them with the Paramount logo, but the, but they have not quite found 
their uh, permanent home. You know, I and that's that's fair. I have a feeling much of this contra- this conversation is going to uh, be weighted with the gift of hindsight. Uh, you know that now we know how far we've come, uh, and, and so this feels you know much more resonant in my memory than it probably was. Uh, and yet, it still is is different. It's a different tone. Can you even imagine what this movie would have been like in the hands of Nick Cassavetes and New Line? Can you even begin to? It, might as well have been, uh, you know, a 2018 A24 movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nick Cassavetes seems, uh, you know, he seemed like a, just a strange choice to to hear, uh, you know, as, as. was it OK, here's the thing. Would it have been any stranger in Nick Cassavetes hands than than Spider-Man in Sam Raimi's? Well, yes, it would have been because I, I don't think he had ever <laughs> directed anything like this. I mean, the film that he had directed um, immediately before when he was working on this was The Notebook. <laughs> and that's, you know, okay. completely, completely different. I mean, he had done Unhook the Stars, She's So Lovely, John Q and The Notebook. Um, and then after it fell uh, out of his hands, then he did Alpha Dog, My Sister's Keeper, Yellow and the other woman and he's got some and that was 2014 he's got projects that he's developing and in pre-production but he hasn't actually done anything since um as far as a director i mean he's acted plenty he's been uh, also acting quite a bit but i just don't see him as uh the guy who was going to be meant to helm this film and so i think in the end it probably worked in marvel's favor that that didn't happen because i i kind of don't think he would have been the guy to bring the mcu into the place that it is now we would probably be on our third reboot of the iron man franchise (laughs) exactly by now (laughs) yes right and people going god it's just like fantastic four they just can't get right. these right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's where we would have been. Uh, but this film felt different. After we get through the uh, the the flip book, the Iron Man centric uh, flip book, uh, getting our our little visual tour, uh, our trip through down memory lane, uh, that that brings us up into a, a a very different sense of place than we might expect. A op- wide open landscape shot uh, with the convoy in the distance. Uh, kicking up dust, driving through uh, what is uh, looks uh, uh, to be a high arid desert, an ominous and uh, empty land. It is. It's very uh, empty with snowy peaks in the distance. And I have stared at this image. I can't tell you how often trying to figure out if those snowy peaks are CG'd in there or if yeah. they are real <laughs> snowy peaks. I, I kind of doubt they're snowy because it's filmed in California in in uh, the thing is Lone Pine, uh, California, um, but they do have the Alabama Hills there, and uh, a lot of films have filmed there. And looking at pictures, it looks like it could be mountainous. I just don't know if it ever would be snowy, uh, you know. And that was the that was the question I had as I looked at this. Right. They are calling it Kunar Province, Afghanistan, uh, which is uh, for those who were uninitiated in Iron Man lore. That might not be where you would expect to open a movie like this. Yeah, not exactly. Uh, the film actually, or the story in the comics, um, I guess jumping back, you know, the, the Iron Man's first appearance was in Tales of Suspense number 39, which came out March 10th, 1963. And in that, uh, that comic, he is working with the military and he is developing stuff for them in South Vietnam in the jungle. Um, and nearby, the, uh, the the villagers are being menaced by Wong Chu, the red gorilla tyrant. 
And that is the person who ends up uh, capturing Tony um, in the comics. But here we are taking liberties with the story and making it a little more current and putting him in Afghanistan. I think it works. Oh, it certainly works for me. It works to modernize the the uh, story. It works to put us in a place that we can. I mean, we have been seeing images like this on television uh, for more than a decade at this point and uh, getting a sense of, of what, you know, the military looks like and feels like. And this felt right at home. Yeah, it really did. It just feels like stuff you're seeing on the news. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It works in that context. We should jump back just briefly and, and talk about John Favreau because one credit we didn't mention that we do see on screen is in association with Fairview Entertainment, which is John Favreau's company. And that's uh, the company that, uh, as a production company, when he's making projects, the films that he's directing and producing end up with that credit. And so, like his TV show Dinner for Five had that, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Cowboys and Aliens, The Jungle Book, and then the two projects that he's developing right now, The Lion King and Jungle Book 2. Is John Favreau the guy you would have expected behind the camera on this one? The film that he did preceding this was that uh, the adaptation of the kids book, uh, Zathura. Right. And I guess that might have been the thing that that gave him the the leg up. It seemed like an odd choice to pick him. And I, I remember hearing him and going, oh, really? He did... I mean, I, I knew him from back when he was acting and I saw, uh, well, I guess as a writer, actor, writer way back when he did Swingers in the mid 90s um, and then directing, you know, I had seen Elf, which I love. I had seen Made, which I hated. Um, and then I knew he directed Zathura, but I it just was kind of past the point in life where I was going to go watch that movie. So I missed it. But. It looked like, you know, he handled it capably. And my recollection was it got reviews that were fair. And so I was like, oh, it seems like an odd choice, but it seemed like a safe choice, I guess. Well, safe in the spirit of making budget, you know, made was budgeted, uh, you know, and I'm getting this from Wikipedia and I'm, I don't have the other budget in front of me, but, you know, made is uh, come says it was budgeted at five million gross. Five million. Uh, Zathura budgeted sixty-five million, gross sixty-four million. Now, Elf before that, uh, back in two thousand three, was budgeted thirty-three million and came in at two twenty. Uh, so, obviously, a significant performer at the box office and has become a cultural staple. So, if if anything, you know, to have this guy know the humor uh, and land the humor is uh, it, it's a significant contribution. And obviously, that you know ended up being a, a significant contribution to Iron Man and the character of Iron Man and the sort of what the the tone of the films that that would come. Uh, but it it felt like a strange pick to me, insofar as we've gotten strange picks since uh but boy it it worked out yeah i i think that uh, that he really does a great job here and i think right away we get a great nod that at least for me i felt like i was in good hands because i i thought it was just so clever that we see this convoy off in the distance we hear the wind whispering away and then it cuts to a, a great long lens shot of these humvees uh, coming right at us down the road. I, I will say I, I felt like I was in very good hands, though, because I thought it was very clever. You know, we have the the Black Sabbath song, uh, Iron Man with the I am Iron Man. And it's 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 that great kind of heavy metal song that just there's something about it that feels right for a, a guy walking around in a suit of armor. 
But instead of using that song, we kick in with ACDC's Back in Black, which I it's it's a totally different song, but it still had that great kind of just that heavy metal vibe that I thought worked so well to really get things started here. Well, and that's really it. I mean, just saying the words heavy metal now feels so associated with Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> you know, the weight of the suit, the size of the mechanics that are working, and that we open on this fighting force crossing across, uh, you know, the desert with their guns at the ready and the big Humvees. It just feels so, uh, you know, foundational, so heavy and, and uh, uh, you know, gives us a, a real sense of... Uh, you know, feels like we're listening to it in the car or in the trucks with them. Yeah, which uh, we will find out soon enough that they just might be right. I, I don't know. I'm not allowed to talk about minutes that we haven't. I know seen we're, yet. we're 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 only in this minute. Yeah, we're you're already breaking your own I, rule. I know I am. But we Please are don't in, cut this. That's important uh, that we know you made that rule. <laughs> that I we made the rules first. First episode of the show. I'm already breaking my rules. <laughs> so like me. It is so like me. It's well, you know. We live in our own little character suits. As you mentioned, we are in the Kunar province of Afghanistan, which uh, is up in the northeastern part of the country. Capital is Asadabad, and uh, it's uh, it is way up there. Uh, so if you look at the map, it's it is like right on the border. It, it's on uh, the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, right? Uh, pa- it's that's that's where we are, and we're outside of uh, looks like. I, I want to say striking distance. That doesn't seem like a, an appropriate term for a guy like me to use of Kabul, uh, which is, you know, obviously the center of a great deal of conflict. So we're we're setting ourselves up for, um, you know, for knowing exactly the what we might be doing there in this first minute. And uh, that leads us to a, a bit of a context shock in the minute to come it's it's going to be an interesting exploration here uh putting it in real world context of middle east wars and crises paired with the comic book version of stuff that had been happening in iron man because as we know in the comic book it was kind of put into a real situation you know vietnam um obviously there was there was a lot of talk of commies and all this sort of stuff but it'll be interesting to see as the film progresses uh, you know is there who are they going to tie into this and so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over over the rest of the uh the minutes well and look at how expert that is right these choices these screenplay choices the the or screenwriting choices to actually open with something that is uh resonant and newsworthy right a place that is so clear to us to give us an entree to a universe right this marvel cinematic soon to be universe uh of superheroes and grounded in something that we can we can all rationalize, we can normalize into our well-being that yes, uh, into our worldview that yes, uh, w- these things exist. If this exists, then surely guys like Tony Stark exist. And if Tony Stark exists, then surely that some of the technology that fuels him exists. And if that technology exists, then surely uh, this suit has to exist, right? And the 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 equation, right, the logical math that they have presented to us it checks out and allows us to buy in emotionally. And I think that is the strength of this movie. And that is the thing that gets us into it allows us to buy into the entire universe to come and make some very uh, grounded assumptions and assertions about every film that, you know, in this universe. And it all starts right here in this first minute. And I think that is genius. Marvel has always been good about, uh, 
finding the ground to develop their stories with. Um, I know it's something that DC has struggled with a little bit more. Uh, but it, I think Marvel, a lot of people say this, where Marvel's characters are are people first and superheroes, uh, that's kind of something that they turn into. And in the DC universe, it seems like they're superheroes first, and then they have to adopt this human facade. And it, it makes it more of a challenge to connect with them. And I, I think that uh, what's interesting about Marvel is they've found a great way to do it in their films as well. And, and even the films that we've seen before this that aren't necessarily connected directly to the MCU, um, I, I think they still manage to do that for the most part in their stories. Uh, I mean, certainly some of them struggle more than others, but I, I think that they have found a good way to do it. And I think it's really strong here. And I think that the way that they decided to put this together with Kevin Feige and, and John Favreau and the the writing team, they've they've found a good foundation. And what's so interesting to me is that Iron Man was never one of the the big characters. I mean, he's always been kind of a big character in the comic books. He's, you know, he was one of the members of the Avengers. And uh, I mean, all the stuff that that we have seen, it's really because of him in the in the comics. But Spider-Man was always kind of like their number one character. And the Hulk was always big. And what's interesting, you know, at the time in the late 90s, early 2000s, when they were talking about developing this as a film, they were really nervous about getting people interested in in Iron Man and even knowing who he was, especially young kids who didn't really the character was just not uh, a, a, one of the popular ones anymore. And so I, I find what interest what's interesting is that Marvel actually hired Tim Miller, who we know uh, later for directing Deadpool, uh, to do these what they called advertorials which were these little um, short CG films that or mini films like short films that uh, that he put together with with Marvel to kind of help people uh, get a sense of who Iron Man was. And uh, it's it's really the, these advertorials. I mean, you can watch them on YouTube. We'll have to put the links up. They did these three animated shorts with this a simple story to introduce Iron Man to younger viewers. And they had to use uh, Spider-Man and Hulk, uh, who are the two most recognizable characters, as bait to get people to watch this. And as Tim Miller said, the marching orders were to, one, clearly demonstrate that there was a man inside the armor, because a lot of people seem to think that it was just a robot. Number two, show off his wide range of cool powers. And number three, position him clearly as a hero on the same level as Spidey and Hulk, and having those characters show how cool they perceive him to be and valued him as a peer. Right. And, and they're amazing. I, you know, when you look at them, you want to see more of these stories. And they give you, uh, you know, what Miller did here is they give you all of those. Uh, they make good on all of those promises, right? Showing the man in the suit. They show the complicated machinery that Tony had to build to piece the suit together on his body. Uh, and I, I think they're just they're really terrific. They they really set the stage. What I think is fun is that um, they they turned out so well and they were really popular that they're like, hey, we should do the same thing for Thor because, you know, we're going to be making a movie with him soon. But yeah. they realized that that making him was actually really more of a challenge than they they planned. And uh, they they really couldn't get them distributed as good as they wanted to and just didn't end up putting the money into it. So but I, I think by the time they got this out there, people started feeling like they could 
trust what was going on. And even if they couldn't see this, the scope of this entire universe, um, that we have the, the luxury of having been through so far, um, I, I think that it, it allowed people to start trusting them and to start buying in as things developed. Yeah, I, you know, back to the minute, they, I, just in, in terms of, of building us a gateway movie, a gateway property to get us into the this universe of superheroes that has, you know, come to thrive, you've got to earn your aliens. DC struggles with that because their central character is an alien already you've got to earn your wizards you've got to earn uh you know you've got to earn your uh um your monsters and things and this this movie gives us uh, it, it shows us what uh you know human monsters are and it gives us the we can relate to that and uh you know it all starts with uh with this minute right here now, Pete, what is your history with Marvel and the comics and the movies and Iron Man? So with the comics, you know, I read some of the comics when I was a kid. I never really, uh, you know, I was never one of those kids who, you know, drank all of the comics in all of the Marvel comics. in. I made the wrong choice. <laughs> when I was a kid and I decided that it wasn't going to be Avengers superheroes. It was going to be Transformers. Right. And, the, you know, it. I regret that a little bit because I feel like it's it's taken me more study to get up to speed on what these characters are and what their backstories are uh, as these movies have come out. Since then, uh, I have read quite a few of them and I've tried to get uh, back into the uh, uh, back into the fold, so to speak. And so the last 10 years, I've I've read quite a bit. Uh, but I have to say, I have not read as many as you have. I am so impressed by what you have done over the last, what, 60 days? Have you read all of the Marvel uh, comics? <laughs> I've all read of the them? entire library. Everything they've done every, you know, every in Marvel the last comic. 60 years. One year a day. Right. That's what I've done. No, I, um, well, it's funny because growing up, I was definitely a comic book reader, but I was the the sort of kid who really loved the uh, the the more juvenile sort of stuff. Like I, I really enjoyed the Transformers. I had, I think I collected probably the first three years of those comics. Um, uh, but uh, I bought comics like, uh, you know, I, I would see things like Wolverine and Iron Man and the Avengers on the shelves, but I would normally not gravitate to them because, uh, you know, they just seemed like, you know, much more adult than my little brain was looking for at the time. <laughs> and so I was, I was going to things like droids and top dog and <laughs> captain carrot and much sillier <laughs> comics and carrot um, yeah that's I, why I, you're still a, a big captain uh, underpants reader today oh hey absolutely no i have a very wide variety of of strange comic choices um that i that i've been saving all these years and i think part of it is i liked feeling like i got a sense of the whole story like transformers i really enjoyed because i was able to pick up issue number one and start that journey with them um i would get four issue limited series like i got the nightcrawler four issue limited series i got uh, weirdly enough before anybody knew who he was i got the rocket raccoon four issue limited series <laughs> Um, you know, I, I picked up, you know, a lot of those because it was my opportunity to just get a whole story and get a sense of, of what was happening within that world. And I think sometimes I would pick up a comic, like I have a random, uh, uncanny X-Men comic and, um, like 
I have no idea what's happening in, this, in the comic <laughs> because it's like mid story. I don't know who these characters are. It it always drops the little, you know, uh, you know, when something happens, it it does the little asterisk underneath and it says, check You'll out remember that. for this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I don't know where I can even find this information because I mean, this was way pre-internet or anything. And there's well, no and way to track this stuff down. And then you feel terrible because you realize you're not a true believer. It's, that's you know, exactly what it was. Uh, that's exactly what it was. But I, I still loved reading comics. And so I, I bought a bunch, but again, they were very random. Um, and so I, and Spider-Man was the one that I, I really collected. Uh, true to Marvel's word, uh, you know, Spidey was the one who was in my life. Um, but Iron Man never was. I think I got the the first couple issues of the West Coast Avengers when that started and he popped up in that and I'm sure he was in some of my Spider-Man comics but otherwise I had no familiarity with the character I just knew mm -hmm. he was out there and not a lot of interest but as you said um, because of these movies I, I've really fluctuated with my enjoyment of the MCU but I find that uh, as I kind of continue rewatching them I actually find my enjoyment of them growing rather than diminishing which isn't always the case in movies I really find myself connecting with it more and more and so yeah knowing that we were going to do this I did start reading Iron Man comics and I have plowed through a ton of them I've read you know the first uh, you know I don't know how many years of the tales of suspense and then uh, when I think it it went up to 99 and then started with uh, the Invincible Iron Man and number 100 uh, was was basically when he got his own title. And I read a number of those and I, I've been reading a lot of the stories trying to get a sense of of uh, what I needed as a grounding for this show. Like I read all the stuff with Obadiah Stane, which mm -hmm. was a good Oh, man, that was a hefty chunk of time that that ran because I think it was like 40 issues or something like that, uh, maybe 30. Um, and that's all the time when Tony was an alcoholic and he was living on the streets. And Rhodey was actually the one who was in Iron Man for, you know, probably years of uh, in comic book time as far as the monthly issues. So, uh, yeah, I've been really digging in and just I've really been enjoying it. And uh, I, I've been kind of rekindling my love of comics and these movies uh, through all of it. I think that's fantastic. And I, um, you know, I've not read oh, nearly uh, maybe a fraction of what you've um, of what you've read. And uh, so I'm really excited for you to continue to sort of teach, particularly where these things part, uh, where the, the properties part ways. Um, so I, you know, I think this is uh, super exciting. The movies have been a great gateway for me to get back into the comics as appropriate. And I, I try to read the stuff that the actors would have read to prepare them for each story. Uh, and uh, so that, that gives me a little bit more background to talk about. We obviously have talked about uh, some of these things uh, on our uh, our uh, uh, the main Next Real show. Uh, and so that has been another interesting gateway for me to get back into these from the perspective of the movies. But this is going to be a whole new gig, this movie by minute thing. It is. It's going to be a fun journey, uh, just digging into the, the minutiae and the details of uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that is it for today's show, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free over at MarvelMovieMinute.com. Join us over on our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash the next reel. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.